Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I hope as you listen to this, you find yourself encouraged and edified. I hope you find yourself wanting to walk a walk closer to Jesus. Enjoy the next few minutes. I know that there will be those that will come back and listen to this message or those that are tuned in live with us today that will this will speak to. So um, I know God likes to do things. This is my good throat coat. Actually, it's cold tea now, but it's so good. Mm. Maybe it's not. That was super cold. Um, but I want to talk about the goodness of God. Because I think sometimes we measure goodness by what someone does for us. Is that fair to say? Uh, man, that person's really good. My boss is really good to me. He gave me a raise, or she gave me a raise. Um, my supervisor wasn't a jerk today. He was in a good mood. She was in a good mood. You, you follow what I'm saying today? Um, but I think we need to put some things in perspective in the area of what is good. So I want to read this. This is a little bit lengthy, but I came across this online and... I thought it put some things in perspective, so many of, most of you know that I don't just stand up here and, other than scripture, read, but I wanted to read this to you, and it says, it's, uh, the title is, What Does the Goodness of God Really Mean? I think we can all have maybe been in a situation at times where we faced that question, is it safe to say we've been through some things? Is it safe to say we look at other people going through things and we think, man, they're churchgoers and they're having it rough. Have you thought and looked at maybe some of the most unrighteous people and wonder why they have it so good when it comes to, it seems like, financial blessing? Man, that person has a big house and drives nice cars, but I don't trust them with a pack of cigarettes. or what? I was trying to think of something down there low that I wouldn't trust somebody with. Um, But listen to this. This is a a female author, and she says, the thing that I can't walk away from is that the Bible doesn't just say that God does good things. It It says that God is good. It's not just what he does. It's who he is, and who he and who he is never changes. Whenever a plane goes down, listen to these descriptions that she throws here. Whenever a plane goes down, there is Inevitably, a news story about the people who were supposed to be on the plane but weren't. Either because their alarm didn't go off or there was a traffic jam or they switched travel plans at the last minute. Yesterday was no exception. Amidst the horrifying reports of a plane dropping altitude over the Alps and then crashing in the mountains with 150 people on board, there was a story of when... There was a story of missing parts to this. There was a story of a person that was, I'm just going to fill in the blanks for just a second. There was a story of a person that didn't board that plane. Who said, wow, God is good. When we hear stories like that, as Christians to say, wow, isn't God good? We say that a lot, isn't God good? When we hear Reports of people who inexplicably avoid doom. A woman was or has car trouble and avoids the fatal 12-car pileup on the interstate that she would have been in if her car had started. Isn't God 
Good. A man goes to his doctor for pneumonia and a chest x-ray shows a tumor in his lung that is entirely removed and cured because the doctor accidentally discovered it when he was still in its early stages. Isn't God good? I survived an aggressive form of breast cancer. I did, this author. When I was 28 years old, isn't God good? People say a lot when they hear my story of how I almost died and now God spared my life. Yes, I always say God is absolutely good. But is that why God is good? If God hadn't spared my life, would God still be good? Hmm. Because here's the thing. For as many stories as there are of people who escape doom, there are just as many, if not more, stories of people who weren't so lucky. There were people killed in that fatal interstate pileup who usually take a different way to work, but for some reason thought the interstate would be the faster that day. Isn't God good? It sounds obscene to say that. There were people diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and died weeks later because the cancer was discovered too late. Isn't God good? No, my instincts say... It doesn't make sense to draw attention to God's goodness in a situation that seems to be the opposite of good. Two of my friends have died of breast cancer in their 30s. Isn't God good? I have to be honest. I have to honestly answer that I don't know. And it makes me think hard about God's goodness and what it even means. In Psalm 46, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. Therefore, We will not fear. In his commentary on Psalm 46, Charles Spurgeon wrote that God is good, not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives, but because in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. And this is why we can say with absolute confidence that God is good. And this is why we can say with absolute, oh, I just read that. We can say with absolute confidence that God is good. This is why we can say no matter how bad the storm is, no matter how much pain we experience, no matter how different the outcome is from what we prayed for, that God is good. In the hardest moments of life, God comes close to us and he doesn't change, he doesn't falter, he doesn't quit, he doesn't leave, and he doesn't let go. God is just as good to the 150 people who went down in the German wing plane as he is to the soccer team who switched flights in the last minute. God is just as good to the people who died in the car accident as he is to the people who avoided it. God is just as good to the parents of the obedient children as he is to parents of children who have rebelled. God is just as good to the infertile woman as he is to the woman, women who have had as many biological children as they want. God is just as good to the family who loses their home in a fire as he is to the family whose house doesn't burn down. God is just as good to the people who turn down or who drown in a tsunami as he is to people who are rescued. God is just as good to the young woman who died of breast cancer as he was to me when I survived it. Isn't God good? Yes. The answer is always a resounding yes, God is good. But we've got to stop only talking about the goodness when an unexpectedly pleasant thing happens because God's goodness is not dependent on an outcome or an emotion, or a barely missed doom story. (coughs) Excuse me. God is not good because we avoid danger. God is good because when the storms of life hit, he comes closer to us than the storms ever could. 
He holds us in his loving arms. He doesn't change. He doesn't falter. He doesn't quit. He doesn't leave. And no matter what, he never lets go. How's that for perspective? See, we've got to get to the point where we quit seeing God's goodness based on our circumstances. We see God's goodness based on his nature, based on his character, based on the fact that the Bible says that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Um, Before we get to the slides, you can leave it on the title. Go with me. This is not in there to Psalm 86. Psalm 86, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. This is something that came to me after I printed off my notes. The psalmist here, David, as in King David, verse 5, he says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon your name. So right there, what is the caveat to experiencing the goodness of God? calling on his name. It doesn't change the circumstance that draws him near to you. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. That's what happens when we begin to experience the goodness of God. And it says in verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answered me. And there is none in verse 8, it says, Like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. In verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You see, there's none like him. He's the only one who sits in power. He's the only one who sits on the throne. He's the only one that can intervene to the extent that he can intervene. The Bible says he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the righteous one sitting in heaven He is sovereign, which means everything comes under his command. Everything comes under his control. Does that mean he caused the accident on the freeway? Does that mean he pushed that airplane out of the sky? No, it means he's there for us when we need him. So let's get into the, you know, no, 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 no. I want to go somewhere else. Maybe I'll get to my notes. You get to see my randomness this morning, my unplanned out, my randomness. I want you to turn with me to a very common story. We're going to do this again, this story in a coming series that I'm going to call, call, do called Bible Stories. Uh, we'll do that after the first of the year. Um, by the way, we're going to go into Permission will be our next series. Then we're going to do Advent for the Christmas season. Then we, I've got five or six already planned out. I'm super excited. But... Um, um, Turn with me, if you will, to, this is me um, on the fly, to Luke 15. Luke 15. I want to show you how the goodness of God works. We sang about it this morning, believe it or not. Verse 11. Luke 15, 11. 
if you spent any time in Sunday school, had any experience in church at all, you'll be familiar with this story. If you're not familiar with this story, it's okay. I'm going to tell you the story. So there's this two brothers, and they come from a little bit of abundance. And one of the brothers comes to his dad, and he says, I want all of my inheritance. He says, I don't want to be here anymore. I want all of my inheritance. The dad gives him all of his inheritance, and he leaves, and the word is squanders. He takes it and he lives wildly. He has an awesome wild life. He parties. In today's society, he'd probably drink, do drugs, gamble, and hang out with, can I say loose women? We'll keep it simple since there's children listening. He does the things of the world and he loses every last bit of it. Every last bit of it. Verse 11, he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Did you catch that? The younger son came to the father and he said, give me what's mine. The father said, that's fine. I'll give you what's yours, but I'll also give you the older brother his as well. Sometimes we miss that when we look at this story that the younger son came, but the older brother got his as well. And not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into far country. And moving on, um, verse... 15, so he went and he hired himself out. This is after he's lost, no, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to be one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs that the pods pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So we see him now eating from the pig troughs. Does that sound like a fun fit? fun meal. It's like he's eating even worse than garbage. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Listen, this is so cool. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You see, we have a picture of a son who's lost everything. And he comes back to his dad and hopes that he could just be a servant, the hired help. And the, fa- the, the father sees his son out at the distance and he doesn't wait for his son to say, I've messed up, I've screwed up, I've given everything away. <clears throat> he doesn't wait for that. He runs out and he kisses his son. He doesn't wait for an explanation. All he waited for was his son to come. And then the picture is, bring my son a robe that signifies his place in the house, bring him a ring, signifies his position. You see, that's the goodness of God. This this picture here represents the father being God and the son being you and me. You see, he didn't say, he didn't put his finger in the son's face and say, look what you've done. He He didn't say, you know, you can earn 
you've lost my trust. And you can start having things back once you gain my trust back. He immediately put him back in the house as a son. Do you see the picture of goodness here? Did the son earn it? Think about salvation. Do we earn the grace of God? Do we earn salvation? Do we earn being sons and daughters of God? No, the Bible says it's a free gift. So I want to look this morning at a few circumstances. Now we'll get to my notes. Now we can get there. I want to look at a few circumstances where God intervenes in our lives showing us this uh, showing his goodness. You don't need to go to that slide just yet. But let's look at Psalm 107. I'm going to spend the duration of this morning. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, mainly because I'm having an issue just communicating, keeping my voice going. But Psalm 107, verses 1 through 43. Not a long time here. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 43. Verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures for a few days. Is that what that says? How long does his love endure? Now, my concept of it of forever is until, like, I quit breathing, right? But it, think about God who always was. He has no beginning. Does that mess with your mind just a little bit? It messes with mine because I have a beginning. I can't, I can't operate outside this confines of a beginning and an end. But he always was. He never started. He just has always been. And forever means there will never be an end to him. And his steadfast love, it doesn't say continues, it says it endures. Think about the athlete, the endurance athlete. There's some kind of a a passion behind them. There's some kind of a training. There's some kind of a overcoming obstacles. And this is a God whose love supersedes anything that could come against us. There's a love that supersedes any kind of thing that could even try to attempt to come against him, that could try to beat him down, to wear him down, to cause us. Think about it in our context to him, but how about how maybe sometimes we feel like we don't deserve his love, but his love for us endures anything that we could even attempt to throw at him that could cause him to not love us, and that endures forever. And so the psalmist goes on, so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. You see, he's gathering people into him. He's gathering them, those that have been in trouble, those that he has redeemed. You know, I come to him, I mentioned it just a moment, that his salvation is a free gift. You see, he has gathered me to him. He has brought me in. I may once have been in trouble, but now he has rescued me from that, and he has gathered me in to experience his love. So let's look at that. Let's look at the four experiences, the four circumstances where God has intervened, maybe in my life, maybe in your life. Now, we may not relate to every circumstance that I'm going to throw at you today, but let's look at some of these. So continuing on in verse 4, he starts out with this very crucial word that I want us to wrap our brains around for just a minute. He says, some. So, as we look at these four things, maybe you fit one of these categories. Maybe you fit all of these categories. 
I'm not here to point fingers and say every one of you fits these, but I'm willing to bet that every one of us in here falls in one of these categories. And he says, some, they wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. You know, this is describing somebody that has sat in a place of barrenness. They've not found a home to call their own. They haven't found a, a tribe to associate with. They haven't found a place to call their own. That's that person that might come to me and say, what is my purpose in life? I haven't figured out a meaning, a place to call my own. This is that person that wanders maybe for all of their life with no feeling of significance within them. In verse 5, it describes them as hungry and thirsty. It describes their soul as it fainted within them. And it says they cried to the Lord in their trouble. At some point, they came to their wits end and they finally reached out and they finally cried to the Lord in the midst of their trouble. And listen to this promise, this amazing encounter, this moment in which he shows his goodness. And it says here, and he delivered them from their distress. And he led them. Oh, how awesome it is that he is guiding. He is the one that leads. I think of a horse with a a bit or a bridle within its mouth that it goes wherever the one that is leading takes it in total trust and in total surrender. It's the one right here. And it says, he led them by a straight way till they reached the city. He took them to a place, to a tribe, to a home, to a place that they could dwell in. And then in verse 8, let them now thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. In verse 9, for the for he te- uh, satisfies, listen to these words, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I might ask you before I get to point number one, how is your soul? Are you satisfied? Or is it hungry? Does it need filled? And my first point in this whole thing is he rescues the frantic searcher. When God intervenes or where he intervenes is at that point in which you have become frantic and you search. And I love that we have a God who is found. I love that we have a God that when we seek him, we find him. When we knock, the door is open to us. He rescues the frantic searcher. And then going on into verse 10, it opens up with that word, some. They sat in darkness in the shadows of death. I feel like I'm describing this prodigal son that we opened with. Prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they have rebelled against the worlds of God and spurned against the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried the Lord in their trouble. Remember reading this just a moment ago? And he delivered them from their distress. The caveat again, we must cry out to him. If we draw near to him again, he draws near to him. If we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And in verse 14, he brought them out of the darkness and out of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of the bronze 
and cuts into the bars of iron. There's no shackle that can bind us. There's no chain that can keep us. Leads me to my second point. He delivers the chained sinner. So the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> but Jesus says, I have come to give life. Romans 8, verses 1 through 2 says, it's not up there. You can just leave the screen up there for just like it is. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I come across, Nash, you know this too, we come across a lot of people that are stuck in bondage. Think about somebody, if you've ever known somebody that struggled with a meth addiction. That addiction owns them. They're not a bad person. The choices that they make, I am here to believe with all of my heart, is a controlling spirit upon them through the addiction of meth. That when they lie and they cheat and they steal, it's an addiction that is controlling them sound like bondages and shackles upon their life. Now, we may not be struggling with those kinds of things, but there are things in our lives, maybe some of you in here in this place today, that you would find yourselves, or you might say, that you feel like you're in bondage to something, that you feel like you're chained to something and it just won't let you go. You see, he delivers you. And all you have to do as verse 13 says, is cry to the Lord in your trouble and he delivers you from your distress. So number two, he delivers the chained sinner. Verse 17 takes us towards our third point. Some, it says again, were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. In verse 19, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Do you see the theme? We cry to him, he delivers. He sent them out his word and he healed them and he delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of the deeds of his songs of joy. Leads me to my third point, which is this. He delivers the sinner from the distress and trouble. There's a fantastic, maybe the most iconic band of the current era that has shaped worship music, believe it or not, as it is today. Some of the sounds that we create in worship music today was created by a band that isn't a Christian band whatsoever. Now they have Christian themes. Yes, they do good. Might be one of the coolest bands ever fronted by a man by the name of Bono. I'm referring to you two. And they sing a song. Now, mind you, they didn't write the lyric. How many of you heard the song 40. One of the coolest, most amazing songs I've ever heard them do. Comes straight from the book of Psalms, verse, or chapter 40. Maybe you've heard this lyric. Well, David wrote it long before Bono and, and what's his name ever got their hands to it. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, 
I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I love that verse too. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry blog, a bog, not blog. We're not blogging today. Out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock. You see, sometimes maybe our sins have put us in chains. But sometimes our sins have caused us to be in distress and just straight up trouble. Like the prodigal son feeding from the pig troughs. Struggling to find no provision whatsoever in his life. Maybe I'll just go home. Maybe I'll just cry out to my father. What did the father do? He set his feet upon a rock. He made his steps secure. Continuing on in verse 23. Some, there's that word again, went down to the sea in ships doing business on great waters and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in the evil plight. They reeled and they staggered like drunken men and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And he made the storm be still in the waves of the sea and they were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them out of, out, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Point four, he rescued those pounded by calamity. I could have used several different descriptions here for this because we've got a scenario where we've got some people that are out at the, in the seas in ships that needed a course correction. Verse 25, it said, For he commanded and he raised the stormy winds which lifted up the waves of the sea. He caused them to be in a situation to cry out to him and he met them. Makes me think of one of the most commonly quoted Psalms. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you look at verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, listen to this comfort. Listen to this proclamation of the psalmist. He says, I will fear no evil. You ready to hear him declare the goodness of God? He says, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'd like to say that most of us in this room are already on the rescued side of the scenarios. I've given my four points, but maybe we are sitting in this latter part of what the psalmist declares here today. For he opens or he closes here in verse 33. He says, he turns rivers into desert, springs 
of water into thirsty ground. You see, he does things. He puts things in our paths. He dries up the land so that maybe we can call out to him. Maybe we'll get to the point where we reach out to him. But just as he's able to do do those things, verse 34 um, continues on. He can turn fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Not because he's opposite of good, but because we are opposite of good. You follow me? Because of the evil of his inhabitants. But just as he's able to do those, listen to what more he can do. He turns deserts into pools of water. Parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and they get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. See, I could almost have done a part seven, but I wasn't going to do that of the journey. Verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But I love that word followed by what we just experienced here. But... He raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and the wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's where I am this, in this place today. Where we talk about God is good. Shall we consider the goodness of God? Shall we be in that place where we read in all four scenarios where we come to a place where we, if I may find it again, they cry to the Lord in their whatever and he delivers them. May I remind us what he delivers us to. So many times when I've talked to people about following Christ, what they think of is the things that they have to give up. They think of the things that they have to say no to, that they can no longer have fun. They can no longer partake of. They can no longer do certain things. But I'm here to say that when we say yes to God, we say yes to his blessings. We say yes to his companionship. We say yes to his protection. We say yes to his health. We say yes to the benefits of heaven. We say yes to the goodness of God. So what I'm asking you today is this. Would you consider the steadfast love of the Lord? (laughs) Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at wlmiama.com. 
wlmi.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. And click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.